today is one of my very best friends on the show, Chelsea Larson. She's actually been on the show before. That's how we met, believe it or not, was she came on the show and then we just became really good friends. We're sober sisters and she just wrote a freaking book. So that's the dream. You know, I want to write a book someday. I know that it's a really big undertaking. It's a big thing to do. And I'm so freaking proud of her. And we're just going to have an honest conversation. I'm recording this before we record, so I have no idea what we're going to talk about. But with her, it always goes into such a great direction. She's so insightful and has gone through so much in her life. If you listen to our last episode together, she talks a lot about trauma and she was sexually abused as a child. And there's just a lot that she's experienced in her life. And now through this journey of sobriety that we've been on, you know, together for a lot of it. Um, she's just a really, really intelligent and insightful person. So I know that anything that you get out of this episode will be valuable and entertaining because she's hilarious as well. So enjoy this. Chelsea Larson, her book is My Savage Truth, a memoir kind of by Chelsea Larson, the art and science of how I found I wasn't broken, fucked up, or needed to be fixed. So if that doesn't sound like the most amazing book. I don't know what it is. It's so good. I um, got to read it a little bit before it was released as well. And She's just a great writer. It's super easy. Like obviously it's some, some of the content is heavy, but she makes it really digestible and you know, it's light chapters and it's just a really, really great book. So go check that out. If you're in Minneapolis, I like you has it in store and then you can also find it on Amazon and I'll include links below. So Chelsea Larson, enjoy this episode and have a great rest of your week. I literally, um, don't get new phones ever. Like I had the 11 or whatever, which is still like a good phone, Mm -hmm. but I was like, I don't think I've gotten a new phone in years. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Hmm, maybe it's time to, to get a new one. Why are you? I know. I don't even buy new socks when I have holes in them. I'm just like, (laughs) like, like, and then when I get a new sock, I'm like, Oh my God, why was I waiting? Cause they're so warm and cozy and they're not full of like pills anymore yeah I need to and so like why am I putting off getting like new mascara it's like five (laughs) dollars but I just like don't buy new things and then when I buy them I'm like oh oh this is so nice (laughs) how did I live without this (laughs) um for some reason you're not showing up on my phone which is good. So if you oh, want to just, I did it. text you. Did you get it? Did you text me today? Yeah. At six. No, I didn't get it. Weird. Um, you have the same phone oh. number. Yeah. The same phone number. This is bad. Um, yeah, that's weird. Um, I'm going to try to send you the voice. Oh, hmm. I got it. Okay. Okay. We're good. Awesome. All right. Let's freaking go gangs back together. So good. You're a, you're a repeat guest, Chelsea. This is exciting. Am I your first repeat? No, Mark Dowdle was, but I mean, mm. that's pretty, oh, I love Mark Dowdle. I know it's pretty top tier. Like I'm like super happy. I'm in the same category as him. Oh, for sure. I'm pretty proud of myself. Yeah. I mean, that's like no question. You two are like 
You're like the male version of Mark sometimes, except you don't run 500 miles. <laughs> except we're the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, male version for it's hard and female version mm. <laughs> yeah except the athlete stuff but yeah yeah exactly We're but the same that's irrelevant you know that doesn't matter um how the heck are you how's life how's nursing and or your job and everything you're doing mm, it's hard <laughs> get it yeah, I got it um <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting because you're the first pod. Well, you're not the first podcast I've been on, but uh, the first that I was vulnerable on. Mm. And it really changed my life. <laughs> it sounds so cheesy, but I said things like in public, so to speak, for the first time ever. And since then, it's been like that's my norm now. And I've and written a book with some of those things that I said to you and now it's on Amazon and yeah I finished nursing school I am a nurse oh cute (laughs) so yeah it's um it's been a lot and I think you asked me to come on about the book but then I had a bit of a mentee B in it's a mental breakdown for those that you're not familiar. Um, and I don't know, that was uh, early October. Mm-hmm. Um, and I texted you and yeah, it was um, an interesting experience. And I, when I'm in those spaces, I come out of them eventually and then for, totally forget what my experience was like. Um, and so this time I recorded it and I sent it to you and I think we're going to talk about it. (laughs) Oh yeah. We're going to talk about it. No, I feel like that's, what's so interesting about like, I feel like it's so many traumatic experiences, right? Where it's like, you literally just black it out of your memory. I always compare it to women who have babies. I've never had a baby, so I don't know what it's like, but the fact that like they get pregnant, they have this baby birthing has got to be just incredibly painful and insane and just wild. But then they're like ready to do it again within, you know, six months to a year, two years, three years. It's like, they forgot exactly what they went through. And not that it's like, you're ready to go through a panic attack or a mental breakdown again, but it's like, you come out of it and then you kind of heal from it a little bit. And you're like, Oh, do you ever feel like gosh, I just was being so fucking dramatic. Like, do you think that about yourself? And you're just so mean to yourself. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're all our worst own critic, but yeah, I, I come out of it and I want to just move on. And now I'm at the point where I don't want to do that anymore. I want to remember. And yeah, I think forgetting about it really doesn't serve you in any way. Although it seems like, I mean, it's a coping mechanism, but it seems like it's the right thing to do is like, oh, thank God that's over. Thank God I feel better. Like, yay, let's celebrate and be happy and move on. And like, I am at that point where I am in a better place now, but I don't want to forget. Exactly. And do you know like what or why you might not want to forget? Is it for healing purposes? Is it to be able to help others? Like what is the motivation behind that? Hmm, That's a good question. I think 
I have for a very long chunk of my life, I pushed away my sadness and my darkness and was super ashamed of it. Um, and then over the past few years with therapy and all that fun stuff, I have like pushed away less and less and I want to be more integrated. I like that word integrated. Um, and that's part of what the book was for me is feeling integrated where I don't have to hide this dark part of myself anymore. Like I have light and I have dark, we all do. And like, how can I live with both of those all the time Mm -hmm. instead of just being like, Oh, I'm light right now. And, or I'm all dark. Like I am both of those all the time. And so remembering, I think helps with integrating And then it helps when you're like back in that spot and you're like, oh, I've been here before. Like I know what to do, or maybe I don't know what to do. I could happen again and I don't know what to do. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I, it, oh, also recording. So I, I am a big writer of my feelings. um, But when I'm in that space, I cannot write anything. I, that takes way too much energy Um, and so the writing usually comes, it can come from a very sad or a very dark place, but not that extent. Um, so this time when I recorded it and then like literally an hour later, I listened to it and I was like, wow, I have so much compassion for that person. It was almost like I was listening to like you Paige, talk about how you were feeling and I could feel empathy for you, except it was me an hour ago. So it was so interesting because it's like, it's almost like you're listening to a friend when you're listening to it back. So, yeah. And that's like exactly the point of, you know, you are nicer to your friends than you are to yourself half the time. So it's almost like removing yourself from the situation and looking at it from like this up here view, which I'm using hand signals and we're going to podcast, but like the, what is that called? The bird's eye view, the bird's eye view. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just Good like- job yourself from that point and being able to like differentiate and be like, these are, you know, feelings and emotions that I was having. And like you said, feeling compassion for that person. It's just like, how many other times can you do that? I feel like usually I have a panic attack or a mentee breakdown meant to be. And then I immediately am, you know, like, why are you feeling this way? Like, what's wrong with you? Oh my gosh. And then you're out of it and you're like, oh, like I was just so down bad. And it just is so nice that you could, you could like reflect even quicker than that too, and actually really re-experience it for yourself. Yeah. There's another element of like shame, embarrassment, guilt, humiliation of like, yeah, experiencing those things, but they're really like, that doesn't need to be a part of it. And listening to it, I, it helped me kind of release some of that. Cause it's like, oh, that's just like really sad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and like, we're going to listen to a little bit of it, but like, you just sound so like worked up. Like you can just tell, I mean, as your friend, I felt like, oh my gosh, I have so much compassion, which of course is natural as a friend. Right. But it's like, you can tell. I could hear your brain just going in a thousand miles per minute, you know, and like, that's not your normal 
tendency, right? You're pretty chill, just kind of calm and a natural setting. And so like when you hear those things too, you're also maybe recognizing that doesn't sound like me or that doesn't feel like me. That feels like a, you know, totally different version of myself. Or it to like spin it another way, like, oh, that's just another side of me. And that side is equally beautiful as the Chelsea that shows up to my gym and laughs with everybody. You know what I mean? That's what I loved what you said. And we'll talk about it more with the book, but just like the dark holding space for the dark and the light. Cause that's something I struggle with so much of, I do always feel like, well, right now I'm depressed and then I can't be depressed and like sunshiny you know, or I can't be in this really great mood, but then also have these feelings of depression and anxiety. I don't, I don't have the capacity to hold space for both things. Like, I feel like I have to be one or the other, but I love your thought process of what if we can be truthful and honest about the things we're struggling with while also still being, you know, a light in the world, which is what I'm trying to do with everything I do. Right. But sometimes it does feel like in my internal head, I have to try to differentiate them. Like I have to go support, support, support and be a light and then share all my dark sides or whatever. But why can't we be both, you know? Mm. Yeah, society fucked us up, man. Like if somebody told us, yeah, you can't be depressed and laugh or something like that. And that's like another like integration that I'm learning. Like when I posted on Instagram, I don't know, a month ago, about how I was having trouble finding any joy and I'm thinking about medication and what's your experience. Like I never would have posted that, but it's like, I came to a place where I knew that was going to freak some people out. I knew my mom was going to see that and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, yeah. But I've gotten to a place where like, I can post that and yeah, I can then post about me like laughing about something stupid. Like it's, it's okay. And it's normal, but like, yeah, somebody told us that you can't do that for some reason. Yeah. So fuck that. That's literally life. Like, yeah, people used to not do that because that was what society told them, but now people are way more open. Like, I just feel like people in general have become more open and it obviously depends where you live, what your family situation is like, you know, your profession, there's so many different factors, but if you're placing yourself in situations and you're, you're putting yourself in front of content that is like yours, where it's like, it's the both. And you can see that, oh, I can also be joyful and then also struggle at the same time, you know, be grateful for where I'm at. Like, I feel like that's one of the things I had when I moved out to Utah was like, I was struggling so bad, but then I was like, but I'm so grateful to be here. Like, I really want everyone to know that I'm so grateful that I live in Utah and it's like, okay, but why is there not an ability for me to be like, I'm glad to be here, but also it's really fucking hard, you know? Mm. And when I recorded this, mind you, I was in the most beautiful place in Italy. Yes. The most, I don't know if I sent you a picture of where I was at. Um, and I, I sort of, I, I got what you were saying and I sort of, um, got off track a little bit because it's like, I was in the most beautiful place in the world and I was suffering yes. and that's also okay. Yeah. You know, like you can have a really good life and also be depressed. Yes. Yeah. And you talk about that. You talked about that in our first episode and it was in the book too. I know like 
when you had first admitted that you were struggling, I think it was when you're coming back from Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe you had admitted like, Hey, I'm not doing well, or I'm feeling these feelings of anxiety or depression or whatever it was. And everyone would always say, well, you have such a good life. You had such a great childhood. You had all these things. And it's like, that's not what it's about. Like, yeah, you can experience all those things. I, this is small, but I had that on my wedding weekend where there was one moment where I just got so fucking overwhelmed and just got so anxious. And I like turned to my best friend Bergen and I was like, I know this is supposed to be the happiest weekend of my life, but right now I'm really just like overwhelmed and anxious. And I just want to be by myself and be with my nephew. Like that's all I want right now. And I just let myself do it because like you could either sit there and be like, yeah, this is the most beautiful place in the world. I have the best life. I am so blessed. I'm so grateful and just completely abandon yourself. Or you can actually lean into your feelings and learn something from it, but also more importantly, honor yourself and be able to actually be fucking human, you know? Wow. I love that you said that. And I think that a lot of people probably experience that with the wedding thing. And then also with new moms and dads and what like a beautiful blessing a baby is, but how fucking hard that is. It's kind of similar, but yeah, I can totally, I've never been married, but I can, I will assure you, I will have those same feelings. Well, especially thank you for sharing. Yeah. If you do it, like we did it, you know, you've, you've got people coming in, it's, you know, five day event and it's like, I'm a pretty big homebody. Like you're doing a lot. And like you said, with the baby stuff, it's like post, you know, partum pregnancy or postpartum depression. Like there's so many things that happen and we're just taught. And it goes with so many other things in life too. We're taught that we're not allowed to feel certain things because we should just be grateful that we're not starving or that we're not homeless or all these things, which we of course are grateful of those things, but we can also feel feelings of tragedy and sadness and depression and and everything else, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, weddings are supposed to be so fun and you're celebrating. I'm going to be super stressed out. (laughs) You have to talk to so many people too. It's like, oh, and everyone wants to talk to you. And so you're Mm. like, what do I have to talk about? Like racking my brain for topics. Like, what do I got? Um, I have a dog. I'm getting married this weekend. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Okay. Let's fucking do this, dude. So before we do a little listening. Paint the picture for us a little bit here. Mm. You're in Europe. You're in the most beautiful place. You say, what happened? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I left on a really hard note with my mom um, where we're just working through some things. And uh, we actually start therapy together on Monday. Um, But can you hear me okay? Uh, but yeah, I also was seeing this guy that, um, just was very much triggering my attachment style. (laughs) And so that, um, my job was super stressful and and none of this even really matters. Cause like, it could be nothing, you know, like I, I could have no reason, but it was sort of like, um, a lot happening. And then and I just was feeling really unstable, I guess. And I wasn't even sure if I could go the week before. And then I had therapy three times that week. Um, 
And so I felt good enough to get on the plane. And then as soon as I got there, it was like, what am I doing? And I'm alone um, in a foreign country where, I mean, people speak English, but not everybody. And I was so jet lagged and tired on top of that, which doesn't help that situation either. And I fell asleep super early and woke up in the middle of the night, I think like 2 a.m. And thoughts just started coming in and would not leave. And I was super scared, super, super scared. And I'm alone in a foreign country. I did, um, it was early enough here that I texted my therapist for an appointment the next, like later the following day. Um, and so that like calmed me down a little bit. I was looking at flights, like I need to get home. Um, am I, I literally had the thoughts of like, am I going to go straight to like a mental, mental institution? Although I know that not all of those are helpful and that could make it worse. What am I going to tell people when they say, how was your trip? And I say, I had to come home the first day. Like, how is that going to go? Um, like all of this was playing through my mind. Um, and it just like, wouldn't stop. Um, and then at a certain point, the sun came up, I made a coffee and, um, recorded this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of it and it's a little long, so we'll probably just like bounce around a little bit, but we're going to plan to just like listen to a little bit and then kind of discuss things. Cause Chelsea was talking about how she doesn't remember a whole lot of what she said, because obviously these are experiences that she had a, a few months ago, but also it's just a lot at once for you probably too. So here we go. Just recorded. Can you hear it? A voice memo that I may or may not send to a guy I'm talking to, but um, I don't know. I just I just listened to it and it made me feel a little bit better because it was like I could hear my pain and like almost feel like it's like somebody else and have like passion for them and I'm just like maybe I should try speaking uh how I'm feeling and listening to it and maybe I'll feel better I'm I'm not sure I'm just like in so much pain it's really it's really hard I'm in uh I'm in Italy right now with like most beautiful place and view and uh yeah I just woke up at like 2 a.m because I was so jet-lagged I fell asleep really early and then woke up and everything was fine at first and then I just really started having really bad thoughts and it was like so uncomfortable to be in my body and like to be me and I understand now why I drank um, because it got me out of my body and I know why I didn't want to be in there. And I don't like, I almost like, 
I'm almost like debating drinking because like I know that it'll like I mean it's a coping mechanism and sometimes I think we do need coping mechanisms to like stay alive like the whole firefighters like alcohol versus suicide like one is better than the other but they both suck and I just like I did not I do not want to be alive like it's just like really hard to be me and I really don't know if I can get better I don't know if I can be in a relationship and isn't that like what we're here for or is that a lie that was I don't know I it's a little bit how are you doing? That's deep. Good. I know. Take a breath. Yeah, it's so sad. But also, like, it's beautiful. And I'm probably disassociating a little right now where I'm not, like, that emotional right now. Um, but I'm really, like, I'm glad to be sharing this honestly and like because I know how real it is yeah I mean like even listening to it I'm like I've been there like when what really stood out to me at first was the I'm in so much pain like we associate pain so much with the physical of like, yeah, you're injured or whatever, but we don't talk about how painful it is when you are in that mental state of like, I genuinely don't know if I can get better. I don't want to live right now. I want to drink to cope, you know? And it's like that feeling is, I mean, I don't know how much physical pain I've been in in my life, but like that is worse. Like it is just the worst pain that you can be in. And I can just like hear it in your voice. And I've said the exact same thing in that situation of like, I'm just in so much pain. And it almost like doesn't make sense. Like, even if I were to write that, like I listening to it and yeah, hearing my voice and the emotion in it is like, it's a lot. Yeah. Well, and you just are so unfiltered when you're speaking. Like, I don't know if you feel this way, but now you've written a fucking book too. So it's like, sometimes you feel like you have to kind of write well, and you probably feel that even more because you were in the mindset of like, I'm publishing this, but it's just like, you can't really just sit there and just blah, you know, like you have to kind of be concise. You can't write it all out. Like this is a good you know, meaty voice memo that wouldn't have been all translated onto paper. And like you're saying, the emotion wouldn't be there either. The real pain that exists in your voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's deep. It's really deep, but it's so, I mean, it's just so real. And the drinking part really got me too, because it's, you know, obviously you're sober, I'm sober. And there is moments where when people are sober, you know, don't like to drink very much or whatever your story is, there's moments where you want to fucking drink. And it's sometimes it's hard to say that. And I'm curious if you've struggled with that of like, sometimes I feel scared to admit that I want to pick up a drink at times. 
because it's like, oh, well, you're sober and you preach sobriety and all this stuff. But the truth is that there are times where that's really all you want because it is a coping mechanism. And like you said, it's like suicide or drinking, like what's worse, you know, and it's just a mental battle. Yeah. I forgot. I actually said that. So that was quite the surprise, but it like, I, I'm not ashamed of it, but I, I remember like really wanting to drink and I didn't tell my sober group because not that I thought they would judge me, but it just felt a little too raw, I guess. But I'm glad, like, I'm glad we're talking about this now and they'll hear this. But hearing myself talk about like being so uncomfortable in my body Like, I know that's a man thing too, but like as women, like it brought, it brought me back to like my drinking days. And when I did drink and it got me out of my body, like what a weirdly wonderful gift that was. Although as we know, that wasn't healthy or good for me in the long run, but like, yeah, I wanted to crawl out of my skin and I knew that alcohol could do that for me. Um, and yeah, we all have coping mechanisms and I've developed healthy coping mechanisms, but yeah, I really, really debated it really did. Yeah. So you're like, what, what else is my option? You know, I'm in a foreign country. Like, yeah, you just have, I mean, also it's just how the mind works. Like it's so normal for people in our situation to just desire that escape, you know, to, you know, what it's going to feel like, you know, that you're going to be numb. And, you know, while there's a lot of disadvantages of that, you know, there is that sense of when you're so desperate, you're like, well, if if it'll make me feel better and just stop feeling everything at raw point, because that's when you're sober, like that's the constant is you're always feeling everything all the time. And there isn't really an escape. So Yeah. It's just intense. Yeah. And I didn't end up drinking, but like, if I think about if I did, like, if it were you, I would say like, I absolutely understand. I, there is no shame, but I know I would feel like a lot of shame about that, but it's like, there shouldn't be. So yeah. Totally agreed. Okay. Let's listen to more. I'm just really scared and I the only thing that makes me feel better is like knowing I could just get out of plane and go home and at this point that's like what I want to do and then can you just like imagine the people that I'm gonna ask me about my trip and I left I mean it's like kind of insane and at this point I've made peace with like I'm just gonna tell people that I was mentally unwell and had to come home like it's really not even that big of a deal but like it just seems like it is um okay can we talk about that really quick because mm I um I literally had this this is like much smaller scale but I just think that this is such an interesting thing of why our brains worry so much about this. So last week I was supposed, I was in New Jersey 
I was there for a work trip and I'm sure you and everyone who follows me saw this on Instagram, but I was so excited. Never been to New Jersey, was going to go to New York, like had never been, was so pumped. And it was like this new like work thing that I was doing. And I was really excited. I was the only one there. I was like on a solo trip, freaking wasn't super feeling super great. Shit was going around our office, but I was like, I'm still going, like, I'm going to do it. Got on the plane, woke up the next day at 3 a.m. with an ear infection, bad fever, just like so down in the dumps, so shitty, sick wise, like mentally I was a-okay, but I was physically unwell. And then I became mentally unwell because I had the same concern of like, well, I just need to go home. Like I'm so sick and I can't stay here. And I just feel like then there's so much shame around, okay, when I go home, everyone's going to be like, oh, how was your trip? Or, you know, oh, what did you learn for work and all this stuff? And it's like, well, I've got nothing. Like I didn't do anything. I came home. And then you add the layer of like the mental side of it, which is such a mind fuck in it of its own, where I know it's becoming more accepted, but some people don't accept it. And then you and your brain are like, I don't know what people are going to say because it's mentally, it's not the physical sickness. And it's just like this mess but I'm just like, why do our brains care so much about when we go home and what people are going to ask about our trip? It's insane. I couldn't even call in sick to work. Like forget the, the mental, like even if I were to take a mental health day now, like I could be honest about what I was doing now, but it would still be difficult. But like a few years ago, I couldn't even call in sick to work. Like, why is that even a thing? Yeah, I understand. And, and even like, I, I had to leave work early, right. This is right before I went to Italy when I was like struggling and I had to leave work early. And I, there were certainly some coworkers where I did not tell them why, but I, as with the people that I could be honest with, I said, yeah, I am mentally unwell. I had to leave. I had to, I have to leave early. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, that's part of like the integration when you can be honest, but I grew up in a household where it's like, say I had to leave if I was in junior high and I was on a trip with my classmates or something and I had to leave, like my parents would have helped me make up a lie mm -hmm. to say, oh, my grandmother got sick and I had to come home. You know what I mean? Like that's, and I'm not saying that my parents, like that I'm not dogging on my parents. I'm just saying like, that's how a lot of us grew up where you lied mm -hmm. about being like physically sick or mentally sick, but yeah, you know. no, my parents did the same thing. And like you said, it's not like a dig on them. It's just that that's how it worked. And I always got the, like, well, just blame it on me. Like blame it on your mom, like said that you can't or whatever, when it was just like, I don't want to go. Like I, my brain would just be like, I don't want to go. I was a big homebody. So I'd go to sleepovers and I would end up back home, like crying, just so upset. And it's just was always about like making up some sort of a, you know, lie or, or fib fib. And my mom actually like in high school and junior high and stuff, like she would let us have mental health days, but like you had to call in sick. Like you had to say you were physically sick at school. Right. And so you'd go to school the next day and they'd be like, Oh, like, how are you feeling? And be like, Oh, I'm still like, my throat's still a little sore. You know, it's insane. You need to lie. 
lie. But like my mom was saying that the other day, she's like, I used to let you girls have mental health days. And I was like, yeah, you're pretty evolved. You know, you, you figured it out pretty quickly. I mean, Jen, you went to therapy when we were like 16 and 17. So yeah, she, she knew what was up, but it is crazy though, how you have to like present yourself differently to the outside world, because otherwise you could be seen as inadequate or lazy or less than like insane insane yeah capitalism man dude (laughs) (laughs) patriarchy my boss is on the phone with me and he literally was like I know exactly what's going through your mind right now as I'm like crying in the bed in New Jersey he's like you're thinking about how this makes you look and you're worried about you know all these he's like it doesn't matter like you're fucking sick like what are you supposed to do oh my gosh my work is amazing like they're just so great about it but it's like like, there's nothing you can do. Like you're sick and you should come home. Like that's that, you know? So I know, but then of course that's I'm heartwarming. Like, like mean to myself. I'm like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Suck it up. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. But I just like, don't even really want to be here, which seems crazy. I just want to be in my bed with goose and so fair. I think also knowing that I have to go to work for three nights right when I get back is like also kind of uh, making me feel like I would just want to go home and have time at home. But I, I don't know. I feel better now than I did in the middle of the night. And I have therapy today at 8 p.m. Um but yeah, I, um, I don't know, being honest, what's the point of lying and not telling people the truth when I am, I'm really not, I'm really not well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I just know that people react out of their fear and I am not afraid of what it means about me sometimes I am but sometimes I'm not and it it also is scary because I really don't even like being with myself right now and then I get into my head of like well who would want to be with me and I realize like it's because I don't want to be with me is why I feel that way and uh but I have to remember that before I really did like being with myself and so people I do want to be with me but it's like how do I navigate this part of me with someone I don't I don't know because I don't think this part is me of me is gonna go away and I don't really know how to handle it because it 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 doesn't make like a whole lot of logical sense sometimes sometimes it does but I'm not really sure like when it's gonna show up and what it's gonna say what it's gonna do and what it like and what that means for another person I guess we'll bleep out names um (laughs) (laughs) it'll be fine (laughs) um this part though is like so real I feel like And I'm curious your thoughts about it now, like kind of stepping away from it, but 
the relationship aspect of like being in an intimate relationship with someone knowing that this is something that you struggle with. Like, do you tell them up front? Do you, you know, how do you communicate that to them? Even like Jack still is learning how to help me in those moments. You know, when I'm so, so bad, my mom knows what to do, but like Jack is still learning. So what are your thoughts now that you've like separated from that now that you just heard that? Yeah, I was going to ask you um, how you and Jack navigate that. Um, but it's interesting. I I did end up, so I had recorded right before that I recorded like a two and a half minute video or not video, audio. <laughs> um, and I did send it to the, to the guy and he responded really well, actually. And it was really nice. Um, and now we are friends. <laughs> but um, I've actually been talking to another guy um, and it's wonderful and amazing. And I, he's read my book. So he knows like a lot of most of the darkness, not all of it's in there, obviously. And it's different being in person, but he actually like showed me his first and I was not afraid of it. And it's been really beautiful. But like, if we had recorded this five weeks ago, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to say this uh but I think the important thing is is like if there is another person involved like they have to know they have to know this like if you're hiding your darkness and just showing your light like you will be miserable both of you um and I don't know much about relationships I'm not an expert (laughs) believe it or not but uh yeah that's like where the beauty comes from is like understanding like each other and those parts mm-hmm. but I am still navigating that yeah and we all are it's not like you and Jack have reached a point where you like you you're good like you know what I mean totally and it's such an interesting perspective because like when I met Jack, the podcast was already a thing, right? So I was already learning how to be vulnerable with more than just my intimate close circle. You just met this person and you have a book out that's literally called my savage truth. So like there's some shit that's out there in the world for anyone to look at, you know, and what was interesting. And and this is probably more specific to people who like us who have maybe some content out in the world. But what I was fearful of is I was like, okay, Jack can just go listen to this podcast whenever he wants, you know? And I had released, I think an episode about my story, which looking back, I was so freaking vague about like my abusive relationship, but whatever, it's fine. But like I was, I had released that and I was kind of nervous about him listening to it before me being able to tell him. And so I remember actually, I think I asked him to not listen to it until I was able to explain it to him in person and give him kind of more background. So it's just an interesting thing when you are somebody who is vulnerable to the outside world, like you almost have to like communicate it prior so that it's not just knowledge that they go and obtain. And then you pretend like, aha, here I am this perfect little, you know, thing. And it's like, no, we're not perfect. But if you're somebody who isn't like us and doesn't have stuff out in the world and that's perfectly fine. It's still okay to like 
feel like you should be honest with someone. I remember finding it really important that I talked to Jack about my abusive relationship because I knew that certain things would trigger me and that I can't handle specific things. And I lived in the same city as that person and that it's possible we run into that person. And this is what we do if that happens. Like there's a lot of jealousy there. Like it's important in a lot of ways, but it also is just important sometimes to like air out your laundry a little bit because it does offer space for you also to have a lot of empathy for that individual as well. I was going to ask, like when you are in a, a dark space mentally, like how do you navigate that with Jack? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it's, he's so, I mean, you know, he's just like the best person ever. So it's really lucky. Um, he is like really on top of making sure that I like take my meds cause I'm super forgetful. So he knows like, if I haven't taken my meds, like shit's not going to go well. Um, and so he's like, just really aware and is always asking me like how I feel and just like how I'm doing. And like, he knows me well enough now to know when I'm not myself. Um, so I feel really comfortable with him. I mean, I would hope so. He's my husband, but like, I just feel like I can tell him when I'm not feeling great. And, and sometimes I'll be honest, like it's not all perfect, right? Like sometimes he tries to like fix it and he goes into like fix it mode or like, um, kind of like toxic positivity mode or whatever. Cause he's just doesn't really struggle with depression and anxiety. So he doesn't really fully understand it other than from me. And so I do have to remind him like, Hey, it's okay that I feel this way. And that like, I don't need fixing right now. And I don't need like just over positivity. Like I just have to air this out and like, let you know. Um, and yeah, if I'm like in a really bad place, he's just like, he does everything he can to help. So like when I would have a lot of panic attacks, when we first moved here, he like called my mom all the time when I was having them just because he didn't really know what to do. And so he would do his best, but he would also call her so that he could like ask her what is the best thing to do. Um, and now he kind of knows, like, I have to be in water. I have to go for a walk, like all those things. So he'll like push me into the shower essentially and be like, go in the shower, take a bath, go for a walk. So he's really really has put the work in to like try and he's not always perfect, but like, how can you expect someone who hasn't really had a lot of exposure to this in his life to really know? I mean, really none of them really struggle deeply with these things, you know? Jack is so amazing. So we funny. love you, Jack. <laughs> oh, he's the best. But yeah, it's like, it's imperfect. And like, it takes learning. I mean, when we first started dating, it was not like that at all. He was just like, what the hell is anxiety? Like why? And, you know, his mom is, you know, she's a pretty, she's a badass. She just like, also though, doesn't really understand the mental health side as much. And like her and I've had conversations about like this podcast and like, it's just like, it's a hard thing sometimes, but his dad's in social work and so like, he's really understanding and, and has experienced it a lot um, firsthand. So it's just an interesting balance. And it's just different when you grow up with like that family and then like my family, which is, you know, great and also imperfect at the same time, right? Like alcoholism, you know, lots of trauma, PTSD, lots of shit going on there. So it's just a totally different vibe when you mesh two people together. Mm -hmm. I think this is an important conversation though. Because I know a lot of people in relationships that aren't allowed, not allowed, 
aren't able to like express themselves but like which is so understandable I'm not shaming anybody like that is like so so understandable and normal but our relationships can be much deeper yes and I don't know how you navigate it if you're not somebody like us who just has it out in the world like how do you start that conversation do you just one day be like hey do you ever like feel suicidal do you ever like (laughs) like go to a really dark place like what do you say like how do you start those conversations I don't know I'm just like here read my book yeah (laughs) the first chapter is do I want to live so (laughs) but it's like I I cannot imagine I'm I know that there's people out there who have not had suicidal ideation. I live with one. Like I know that that exists and haven't had maybe deep depression and things like that, but I've had, you know, anxieties and and everything. I can't imagine that there isn't a, there's a person on earth who has never experienced any sort of mental illness feeling Mm -hmm. like there. I just can't imagine that that's possible. Like, no, not everyone is out there yelling and screaming about it, but like the opening of that conversation, especially if that's something that's important, I would hope that like, if it doesn't go well, then like, maybe they're not the person for you. Right. It's like you said, like they're like, my requirement is that my person I date is in therapy. And it's like, you have to have expectations and requirements of who you're dating if it's important to you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I do know people that don't quote unquote struggle like I do, but some of them may be very disassociated, basically just like shut down or asleep is like another way to say it. And not saying I can't have relationships with those people, but like I have to keep them at an arm's distance because I know I will be misunderstood. Um, And I would never be in a romantic relationship with them. But so, yeah, I mean, it does narrow your pool down a little bit, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's good. Cause it's like, you probably got a lot of options, but like, are they all worth your time? No. Hell no. <laughs> I'll confirm. Uh, that's I'd like people's input though. I always say that mm-hmm. really reaches out, but <laughs> sometimes they do, but it's like, if you're in the dating world right now, you know, what? I'll ask Anna. Cause Anna's coming on my friend and she's gonna talk about dating. And I'm just curious, like in the beginning of relationships, like, yeah. How soon do you like talk about mental health? It's a really good question. I like that. Okay. Mm, I think it is different for everyone too, just to quick add on. Cause like with this guy, like we were like day one, boom, but that's because like, I we're both very open about it. Like it might for other people, it's probably like a slower process, but yeah. Like that's how they're raised and what's, you know, how they were showcased how to be vulnerable or if they even were, that's tough. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I guess this is probably long enough and this is probably a better way to do it than writing because writing takes much longer and it hurts my hand. <laughs> and sometimes like, yeah, the annoyance of that, like gets me to not write it down, but I want to remember this. I want to remember how I felt. 
I don't want to forget this. Um, but I think so many of us do. Like, I think a lot of us feel this way. And then you move on and you feel better and you just forget and ignore, ignore that you felt this terrible. And I don't want to forget. Like, I want to heal something, but I don't really know how. But maybe how is not forgetting and not ignoring this part of me and addressing it. Um, this is like the, I can't believe I've been wanting to talk this much, but yeah, I actually feel kind of hopeful right now. I will probably go get a pastry, but all <laughs> This morning, I didn't think I would be able to go get myself food. And that's why I wanted to go home, too, that you can't get DoorDash here. You can't. <laughs> you actually have You're to. You're literally, like, like, getting back to yourself. Like, so. <laughs> people, and they might not speak my language. And that of all of that is very overwhelming when I am in shutdown mode. It's impossible. Um, yeah. I um, am reading facing love addiction, and I um, I'm, I'm realizing as I'm reading this that I I have been a love avoidant um, with my parents. I don't know, and my brother. I don't know how this has looked in romantic relationships. I know that I have been avoidant. Um, but I also know I've been super anxious in relationships, so that is confusing to me, and I don't really understand it, but I know that I am 100% avoidant with my mother, and I'm realizing that I actually did do a lot of work on this, um, but when the other person is still, I don't, I don't really like these words, but for lack of a better one, in their addiction and still a love addict, like, it's almost, it's, it's impossible. Like I'm still in a relationship with this person. I'm, she's still my mom and she's still very much a love addict. And so I think that just all came to a head, but I have been doing pretty well because I think one of the two things, where is it? Um, uh, who are the things that Love avoidance have our difficulty setting boundaries and difficult difficulty owning one's reality. And I think I've done a lot, a lot of work on that. Um, but when the other person doesn't allow boundaries, it doesn't allow your own reality, like that is is difficult to maintain. And so I almost think like the thing with my mom and my dad is really isn't that much about like me anymore. But I also want to, you know, hold myself accountable for what parts are me. I know the stuff with like Jeff and and dating is um, is very much uh, a me thing. I'm just trying to figure out how I could be so avoided with with one person and so the opposite with another I mean I guess it makes sense but 
it's frustrating because like I don't want to be the love addict. The love avoidant is fine because it's not as painful. The love addict is just so painful. That's where all of this pain is coming from. Uh, it's like it's just a miserable existence. And, um, yeah, I guess like recovery almost seems like impossible because you need you you need another person to like recover from this but you that's the whole thing is like you're not supposed to need people like this so I don't know how to recover without needing someone but the neediness is the problem and so I just I'm just confused to that Uh, right. Um, <laughs> record something else later. I'm not sure. I love the ah oh, shit at the end. <laughs> Is that what I said? Ah oh, shit. Okay, maybe I'll record something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> At well, least I'm kind of funny. You were kind of funny. You got into. It. I loved the. It makes my hand hurt. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel this so bad. The DoorDash. Oh, just so good. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I was gonna say that was like you can feel yourself like kind of start to like just getting it out of your body seems like it is so cathartic. Like throughout the entire voice memo, that was the end, by the way. So it's like that. It does seem like it worked, but then of course, you know, you're bringing up the, the love thing and that's so interesting to me. I want to talk a little bit about that as we're kind of just coming off the topic of like relationships. It's like, and what I'm gathering from what you said at the end is what's hard about the healing process of that love addict versus like love avoidant is that it takes the other person doing the work as well. If there is going to be any healing, is that right? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to understand this. And yeah, you can hear my you can hear my thought process. Yep. Um and yeah, I mean, in relationships, like I, I was super anxious with that guy I was talking to. Um and like for example, like if he wasn't texting me back, like my brain would automatically like go to he doesn't like me anymore. Like he doesn't want to, like, doesn't want to date me. And like, that's super, super normal. Um, and actually when I was in Europe, I listened to so many podcasts about, um, attachment styles, but yeah, it's interesting. Cause, um, like the recovery of a, of an addict, I, I, again, I like, I really hate that word, but I'm just like, I don't know what else to say. Um, then the book, they're like, yeah, just be like abstinent for a year and work on yourself. And I'm like, but I, you need connection. Yeah. So it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, and like with the person I'm talking to now, like, I don't feel anxious because they communicate. So it's like, maybe you just need a different person. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But again, it's like, then I like started to freak out. Like, am I still love addict? And like, I'm just like ignoring that. And that's just going to like 
come up like out of the blue one day and then I'm gonna freak out like it's scary I don't know yeah and I think like we all have this to an extent like we're all afraid of being abandoned well most of us um and what's helped me in the podcasts and webinars that I've listened to since about attachment styles is like I listen to Mark Groves quite a bit talk about this but like I always felt so defeated that like I'm not secure I'm not like a secure person in relationships I'm either like avoidant or anxious or whatever and like hearing Mark and then there's another woman named Sylvie I can't say her last name she's amazing and how like like they're like these experts and like you think oh they're secure and they're talking about how no like I'm anxious sometimes I'm avoiding sometimes when my partner is usually the opposite like you flip-flop and that's normal that's okay and it's just the awareness of being like hey I'm feeling like kind of avoidant right now and talking about that openly uh is a game changer but I like I, I again like I don't know how this works yeah so ever gonna like figure it out and I'm just curious too like with the parent-child relationship I'm like I wonder if it's very common that that has like addict tendencies like the the mother with their daughter their child it's like yeah they have a hard time respecting boundaries and you know my mom and I have had to talk a lot about like that transition of adult child relationship and just that like I now have my own family I have an additional family that's not our family I I'm learning things that I like and I'm starting to set standards and things that I, you know, like, um, I, what's not the word or fuck expect. Oh my gosh. Things I expect of relationships. And like, just because people are family doesn't mean that they can't or shouldn't follow those things. It's actually more so like you have to communicate those things with your family so that they can make those necessary adjustments because it's probably really challenging for our parents, you know, to start to see us come into our own and have thoughts that are like, well, you know, our families aren't perfect and that's okay. It's nothing against them. It's just the truth of life that we're going to fail our kids someday too. And it's going to fucking happen. Like, it's just, it's bound to happen because we're all built differently. Yeah. And that's, to go along with what you asked earlier, like when your parents aren't aware of this is happening and I'm here reading this book, like, oh my God, like this is what's happening. And she's feeling anxious because she feels like I'm withdrawing my love and she just wants to love me. Like, I know it's coming from a good place, but when I feel her like trying to get love from me when I maybe can't give it, like I pull away even more and it makes the problem even worse because then she's coming at me, I'm moving away. And this happens in romantic relationships too. But like, I'm seeing it play out from a different perspective. And that's why like, we're going to therapy on Monday. But um, yeah, it's when the other person like doesn't know this is going on, romantic partner or a parent, like it's really hard to improve. I don't know. Well, you can't really like heal a situation unless both parties are fully certain what's going on and what the issue is. Like, can you really air it out? Can you express the things that you feel upset or hurt about so that 
it's more, and they might not be willing and able or anything to fix things or, or get to that point. But like, you have to be able to do the work to get there where you have to do the hard thing of sharing those, those things that you're feeling and sharing maybe what you expect of that person or what you're hoping to work on. And then the rest is yeah up to them, which that's, I think the hard part. And that's what I almost heard in the end of that voice memo is like, it sucks because you almost need the other person to fix this. And so it's like, how do you go about addressing something like this? Yeah. And it's, it's true. There's not like one person to blame. Like it's a dance. And, and sometimes the other person, like, even if you bring this up to them, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Or I'm not willing to change. And then maybe you can't have a relationship with that person, but that's super, super painful. Yeah. Yeah. It's messy, man. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I love saying that on here. I know you do. Um, how do you feel after revisiting that whole ve- the voice memo? I actually, I'm... When I'm kind of impressed with myself, like I was kind of thinking like, oh God, what am I going to say? And I actually like remembered more than I thought it. Well, I like repeated myself because I like almost like said like a lot of the same stuff that I said before. Um, But I'm really like, I'm really glad you have this space to share this with because like, I don't know who's going to listen to this. I have no idea, but like I know that if I had just experienced that and I listened to someone else like like be that real and raw on a voice memo, like I know I would feel better. Like I feel better like and it's me. Like I feel like it's almost another person in a weird way. But yeah, I feel how do you feel? I feel like exactly what you said where when I listened to it. When I listened to it the first time, I was like, I felt like I was listening to it as your friend, like just worried about you and like, okay, what do I, like, how do we talk about this and what do we say? And just like more in like the, the friend space. And I feel like this time I got to actually really listen to what you were saying. And I felt seen like what you just said of, if I would hear this as a listener, I would be like, holy shit. Like I'm not fucking crazy. Like this happens. This is so real. Like I just know that the feeling of panic and mental breakdowns and all these things is so lonely and isolating because truly when you're experiencing them, you're typically alone or you're with really, you know, close people to you. And it's just to be able for you to be able to like express this and share this on such a like public's way is just so fucking beautiful because there are so many people who genuinely think that they're the only ones that experience this. And so- mm-hmm. I'm just like, so obviously proud as your friend and like so much love for you. But I also feel like, holy shit, someone gets me. And like, I I'm glad we're friends. Cause you understand what it's like to be in those moments. And it just felt so real. Cause it was, it was so real. Mm-hmm. You can talk about that all day long, but like to actually hear your experience with it is so different than like, if you're like, well, I was in Europe and, um, I had a mental breakdown. It's like, but this was the totally, <laughs> totally, yeah. Because I've been on, I was just on Alex's podcast, you know, talking about my trauma, and like, it is different talking about it versus hearing it. 
there's a big difference and I I've never experienced this before so this is new so cool no I love it um okay we're running out of time but really quick I want to talk about my savage truth because it's so good and everyone needs to read it it's flying off the shelves that I like you in Minneapolis (laughs) they need to go get it there but you can get on Amazon um just give like a little synopsis of the book we talked a little bit about it like the darkness versus the light um but just give a little synopsis of what inspired the book and just like what it's been like since it came out Yeah. Well, a lot of it is like some of my journal entries just typed up um, and then edited to sound better. (laughs) Um, And I'm really, I failed like English class. Like I am, but I had health and it's, I think it's okay to read. Like, I don't think it's hard to read, Um, but yeah, every other chapter is a memoir of my life. And then every other chapter in between that is um, basically the autopsy of my life and the science behind our nervous systems and trauma and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually was reading my friend's dad's book that he had written about his life. And it was, he, it's not on Amazon or anything. He just like wrote it for his family and friends. And, um, I got to read it and, uh, we had a lot of the same experiences and he's a six-year-old dude. And we, we have so much more in common than what meets the eye. And I was just like, I can do this. And like reading someone else's story and then reading like a lot of other memoirs at the same time and reading Untamed. Um, and Brene Brown and all that stuff. It was just like, I, um, I just started writing and writing and it became a book. And then I was scared shitless to have people read it. And then it was well-received by my friends and they didn't hate me afterwards and still wanted to be my friends. And then it's on Amazon and yeah, it's been really good. I haven't gotten any bad reviews yet, even though I know there are people that don't like it. <laughs> um, my dad has not reviewed on Amazon yet, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, yeah, like I said, it's been like just a, a journey of integration. Um, because I used to feel like I, w- I there's a chapter in there called Two Faced. And it's about how, like, I can be this, like, if I have energy and I'm in public, like, I can be this type of person. But if I'm at home, I'm a completely different person. And I thought, like, what's wrong with me? Like, if they knew I was like this at home, like, no one would like me, blah, blah, blah. I don't know why I keep saying blah, blah, blah. blah. (laughs) But yeah, it's that integration of those two selves or multiple selves, parts of us. that is okay to show everybody and yeah I also kind of thought like oh I've I've wrote written this I've released it it's doing I'm feeling good about it uh I've done a lot of therapy I'm not gonna feel like I want to die anymore and then (laughs) boom so it's also like it's been interesting to be like oh like this didn't fix all my problems but we're, we're still like on a journey here, all of us. So totally. is, cause I keep thinking about the fact that it's black. Is that 
intentional because of it being like your dark side or no? I didn't even mean to do that, but that's, I love that. The dark and the light. Yeah. Cause I'm looking at you and I'm like, you're so light and you're wearing pink right now, but you're just like, in general, you're so light. And then I like look down at the book and I'm like, it's just it's dark. Like it's the dark, you know, parts of us. And it's just true. It's all true. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It isn't like you would probably think, well, I wanted more of like an untamed cover. I love that cover. I have it right there. I'm looking at it. It's amazing. (laughs) That's what I like sort of the vibe I was going for. And then my friend Matt designed this cover and that's what I went with. But like, I, yeah, I'm that I love that. Yeah, no, I think it's so cool. And I was going to say like the chapters remind me so much of untamed where they're, I said this in the intro, but it's like, they're really digestible and quick, which is just like, it's heavy stuff, right? Like it's none of it is like, I mean, some of it, you make it light and it's just funny. Cause I can just hear your voice and some of the stuff, like the way you say things is hilarious, but like it is just so digestible and just like quick, which is really nice when you're reading something like this, you know, cause some of those books can feel really like science heavy. And then it's just like so much, but I feel like it's so easy for people to get through this, which is really important when it's such important stuff that you're talking about is that people can get through it and like read and learn something from it, you know? Thank you. It's fucking bomb. So everyone should go get it. My Savage Truth, Amazon. If you're in Minneapolis, go to I Like You. Is it available anywhere else, Charles? Yeah, one bookstore in um, Uptown, Majors and Quinn. Magers and Quinn. I don't even know how to say it. Oops. <laughs> um, but yeah, that. And then I Like You, and they have a store in St. Paul too. So I've kind of covered all the bases. Uptown, Northeast St. Paul, and then online. And online at those two places. So I'd rather have someone buy it from I Like You Online or the bookstore online instead of Amazon online. Okay, well, I love you. You're amazing. I love you. 